Hello and welcome to Field Notes on Climate Change, the podcast from the front lines of Arctic research, based at the Arbisco Scientific Research Station in northern Sweden and produced in partnership with the Climate Impacts Research Centre. I'm Emma and in this episode I'm heading uphill once again, this time to find out what climate change and our warming annual temperatures are doing to the plant communities adapted to live at the very top of our mountains. Our mountains are shrinking, shout headlines referring to summits and climate change. And while that's not literally true, our mountains are staying pretty much the same shape and size. It's the alpine region, so the coldest part of the mountaintop, that's shrinking thanks to climate change. And what's happening to the plant communities that live on these summits is of great interest to plant ecologists. Are warmer adapted species able to move up the slope? Will they compete with our summit species? And are we going to lose our specially adapted species from this top? To find out more, I'm spending the day in the field with Bindergro, a professor in plant ecology at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, and Peter Defrener, a professor at the Forest and Nature Lab at Gantt University. So first things first, let's catch up with Binder. My name is Binder Kro. I am working at Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Norway. I actually used to work also with the climate-related questions in Greenland, and uh, so I was living three years in an Arctic station belonging to University of Copenhagen in Greenland. And after that, I worked in Arbisco for five years. But now I'm back in Europe and I am uh, well, further south in, in Europe <laughs> than Arbisco. And I am working at this Norwegian university now as a professor in plant ecology. So quite the Arctic expert then. Well, I have been uh, working many years with these kind of questions, yes. Okay, well, I'm really looking forward to coming out and joining you and Peter tomorrow. Um, I'll be getting up at the crack of dawn and meeting you at your field site. And we'll explain a little bit more about what we're doing when we actually get there. But just to give me a bit of a hint, uh, I'm going to ask you one question now. Um, now, because climate change research is a term which really covers uh, masses and masses of projects and loads of topics, what does climate change research actually look like to you and the team? Yeah, we are just uh, covering like a little piece of the whole picture so we are plant ecologists so what we are interested in is knowing how temperature and variation in temperature is affecting the vegetation cover and also a little bit about the recruitment processes how fast can can vegetation change how fast do plants move great well thank you very much i will see you in the morning good So broadly, what is it that you guys are looking at when you're up here in the Arctic? What this whole project is about is about the climate change and how the vegetation is going to change or how it is changing when the climate is getting warmer. Because what you have on the mountaintops is normally that you have the top is the coldest part and then it gets warmer when it gets further down. And if we then get a warmer climate, we would expect that the plants would move further up. So therefore we have this project that is a very long-term project where we are studying the vegetation to see if plant species are moving up. 
And the work that we're doing today primarily focuses on the very top of the mountains, doesn't it? Just the very the top 10 meters, was it? Yeah. So this is like a big international project where they have collected or picked some tops all over the world. And then they have different teams in different countries that are looking at the tops in their own country. So we can we can look at the tops. I think from the beginning, the idea was that species could be pushed off the top if the climate is uh, changing so that there will be species that are growing on the very top that are, um, that are adapted to growing there and don't have any competing species there and then the thought was that if it's getting warmer there there would not be room for them any longer but I think that what they had seen so far in the project is that there are species moving up but there are not any species that are being outcompeted there they are okay. just uh, they are staying there but there are other species coming in so they're learning to coexist learning to coexist or delayed response perhaps they are not uh, outcompeted yet they are just uh, being uh, yeah a thermophilization i think we are calling it when when it's getting warmer and uh, the whole community is consisting of more and more warmer adapted species ah, okay great mm-hmm. and peter we've driven 20 minutes west of arbusco we've climbed up your nearest mountain tell me what we're actually doing today uh, so today we will be serving uh, plants in, in, on four different sides of the summit. So we establish plots on the north, east, west and south side. And, and, and at each of those wind directions we establish uh, one square meter plots where we simply record the presence and, of all plant species, lichens and uh, vascular plants and mosses that we see. So. And there's a, a string running around the mountain as well. Tell me what that's for. Yeah, so we, in, in addition to those one square meter plots, we also survey the entire summit. So we have two sections of the summit, one uh, from the starting at the summit and then going five meters, five elevational meters a bit uh, uh, lower. And then a second summit area section where we go 10 meters down. And so in each of those four wind directions, we, we again record the presence and absence of, of all species, plant species and lichens uh, that we see. And you've been running this project for several years, haven't you? Is this the fourth time that you've been surveying these plots? Yeah, but we didn't join the first survey, so the first time this, these particular four mountains around Abisko have been surveyed was in 2001, mm-hmm. and that has been done by another team. Um, then these surveys have been repeated in 2008, uh, again by another team. Uh, so, but then, um, uh, a few years ago, we took over the coordination of these summits, and so we have been planning these surveys for, I think, two years now. Oh. So, to prepare for the fieldwork and to get the old data and, and get the coordinates and everything in place. Um, so, but we are also surveying another national park in Scandinavia, in, in Norway. So there, also there we have exactly the same set, experimental setup of four summits at four different elevations and then four wind directions and so on. And so those, those mountains we have been surveying also in 2001, 2008 and 2015. Great. So you've got nearly 20 years worth of data if you, if you add it all up. Mm-hmm. Is 20 years long enough to start seeing the changes of, of climate change having effect or...? Yes, uh, uh, it, the longer the better, of course, yeah. but you have to start at some point. And, and from the analyses or from the data that we have analyzed in, in Norway, we, we really see that uh, on the two lowest summits, the, the species are really changing even over at, uh, at that place over a period of 15 years. Wow. And so we see that uh, 
at the two lowest summits, there are really some low elevation species that are warmth loving are coming in the community. Whereas, of course, at the highest summit, which in Norway is almost 2000 meters, wow. uh, we don't see any changes at, at yet at this moment. So would you say that the lower summits are kind of a window into the future then, perhaps what, what might happen in the higher summits? Yeah, that, that's the idea behind the project, so um, yes. <laughs> and do you do this at the same time every year? Does seasonality affect your plots, do you think? No, we are, we are doing it in, in July, uh, in the different years, but uh, we are not having... We are not having uh, many studies in 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 each year, or we are not going out several times in each year. We just go once to the top. But I don't think it matters too much when you have alpine vegetation because it's a short season and you see most of it uh, when okay. you are coming there. If you were been on on lower latitudes like in Belgium or Dan Denmark, mm -hmm. you would have perhaps or Britain, you would have <laughs> spring flowers and later flowers. But here you basically see it all. You have one season, you have the short summer, and yeah. that's when everything is. That's ah, where. Okay. Yeah. Great, and what job have you got for me today? Uh, <laughs> you are going to you record all the species names. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the fun, the, or the most fun part of our, yeah. our work, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll point at things and ask you what they are. <laughs> so we've just made our way over the ridge uh, into a slightly windier part of, uh, of the mountain. Um, and the setup here for the sampling is the team have got a big grid uh, of, of nine squares in a bright yellow tape uh, and each of these squares is a meter by meter and then on top of those squares they've got a grid marking out 10 centimeter squares. So Brenda we've made our way to the plot and we're hunched over the ground tell me what you're doing right now. Right now I'm looking simply at trying to find all the species that we have in the plot. So first we make like a species, uh, species list of the, the plot and afterwards we will put this frame so we can measure the cover of each of the species and we can do this pinpointing where you are putting down pins and looking which species are hit how many times in each plot. Ah, I see. Okay. So that one. Yeah, so these plots are, I think they are very nice. There are a lot of species here, a lot of mussels. There is, um, yeah. So do you know all of these species by name now, by sight, or do you still have to check them? I still have to check some of them, uh, especially the mosses and the lichens. We have a lot of mosses and lichens here. Yeah. But there are also some of the species that are that are quite common and uh, well known to us. You see the dryas here. Okay, yeah. That's uh, it's a very cool species. It's uh, when it gets out its flowers. It's it's turning the flowers towards the sun during the day, ah. which is nice, like a parable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we've counted all of the different species that we can find in the plot and Hannah, your next job is to estimate percentage cover of each of the species in the plot. How do you go about doing that? Uh, yes, I have to estimate um, the percentage cover of the different plant species. Uh, we mostly use this, uh, this grid consisting of several small squares and each of these squares um, represent 1% um, of, the, of the plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if a plant species is uh, covering like uh, um, one of those these squares, then it's one um, percent. Um, then it's um, covering one percent of the like the, the plot. And if it's like yeah half of those uh, small squares, then it's zero point five percent. 
Um, and in this way we can see whether a plant species is um, very dominant or it's, uh, if it's rare in the plot. Um, yeah, and that uh, may be of importance because this may change from year to year. Mm -hmm. And this is like a long-term project. Uh, so it's important to see um, yeah, the relative dominance of those um, species. Not only what species we see, but only uh, how abundant they are in the plot. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Talk to me about what we're doing here. So now we're, we're lowering a pin yep. on our crit. And we write down all the species that we touch uh, with, the, with the pin. And so the more pins or the more uh, plants you touch of particular species, of course, the more common it is. So we do this at 100 points spread across our one meter square. Wow. Um, it's going to be a long and, day. And this is the most uh, fun part. Carex ah, <laughs> <laughs> urpestris. Yes. Drias. Yes. Drias. Yes. Bare soil. Okay. Cassiope. Okay. Yes. Carex. Carex rupestris. Rupestris. Okay. Rupestris. Yes. Litter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So can you just tell us how, which mosses are there together with him? I mean, I can't tell them apart anyway, but mosses and lichens, even to the experts, uh, can be sometimes quite hard to identify. So we've had to bring in someone from the other side of the mountain to, to help us identify these. This one. Like the red stamen, isn't it? This looks to me like Helocomium splendens. You think? Is that Itachium also? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Both there, I think. Okay. This is Pleurosium shrebri. Okay. Because they may grow together sometimes. Yeah. So Hannah, we've finished everything we're doing with our smaller plots up on the mountainside. We've come down a few metres. Uh, there's white string leading a path for us. This is a transect, am I right? Yes, you're correct. Uh, now we're going to do a transect. Uh, and the reason why we're doing this is that um, the small plots are, yeah, that we already have, um, it's impossible that they um, like contain all the species that actually exist here on this summit. Uh, so by doing these transects, we will most likely encounter new species um, that we can include in our data set. Um, yeah, so that will be more uh, realistic and we will get a um, better uh, insight or better idea what species actually exist here in this area. Great, so we're just walking along them basically and recording everything that we see. Yeah, we're walking in straight lines and then if we encounter a species, we have to uh, identify that and include it in our forms. Yes, that's correct. Brilliant, right, should we, should we give it a go? Yes, let's try. Yeah. So here we already encounter uh, Betula pubescens mm -hmm. and also um, um, some Drias octopetala. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to record that um, on the form. Great, so we finished surveying our plots for today. Tell me, why is it important for us to be looking at plots on kind of north, south and different, different facing slopes? That's because we have a lot of variation in the mountains. So, you know, you have the overall climate of a place, but then you have also the microclimate. And when you have the microclimate, you are going down to the ground surface. And there it depends very much on the slope and on 
which direction it's facing. So if you have a north-facing slope, then normally that would be cooler than a south-facing slope because on the south-facing slope you of course have more sun during the middle of the day. Um, so, so therefore we are in these different areas, uh, in the different cardinal directions. Mm. And the growing season up here is quite short, isn't it? Because you've got to kind of wait for your gap in snow in the summer up here. Now, yeah, exactly. And that is actually also another way that the topography is very important. So if you have depressions, you will have a lot of snow that is caught there during the winter. And if you have like a ridge, the snow will be blown off. And then, of course, when it starts melting, there's less snow on the ridge to melt off. On and in the depression it will take much longer time. So therefore what you also see in the mountain is not only the south-north things, uh, it's also about how the landscape is shaped and how much snow there is because the earlier the snow melts the longer growing season you will have. And if you have an area with a lot of water inflow as well you will also have a more humid climate so there's a lot of variation in the, in the vegetation here. Great. And do you think there's anything that we can do to protect our alpine species? I think that's a more difficult one. <laughs> because, uh, first of all, I think actually that the alpine species, uh, there are not very many rare species here. Uh, if you go to the Alps in Central Europe, they have a lot of rare species. But up here, you know, this was covered by ice 10,000 years ago. So the species that actually managed to to come back to this area, they are quite common and they are very widespread. So it's, it's not a lot of rare species that are here. But there are, of course, uh, uh, other effects and then you you go into this climate change business uh, yeah so um, yeah so I think that yeah we have this open landscape and it's very much driven by the nature and the climate itself not so much by humans up here there's of course a bit of reindeer herding yes. and that is uh, that is affecting the the species composition and, and yeah really what is it that the reindeer favor um yeah but they are trembling yeah. and they are they are disturbing the soils so so and uh, you have also moose that are browsing so if there's a lot of uh, grazing browsing activities then that will also keep the tree lines uh, down and uh, the growth of the tree uh, down so so that's something that will give more um more alpine vegetation. If you go to Norway, they have a lot of sheep. Yes. So that's okay. also keeping the tree line uh, down. So sometimes when we are discussing climate, it's a little bit difficult to know if it's actually less grazing that is causing the tree line to move up oh, or I if see. it's the climate itself. So, yeah. But we don't have any sheep here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to add that uh, I'm coming from Belgium and Bant originally from Denmark and their conservation of nature and forests is, yeah, is looked at very differently because many of the very common species here are super rare in Belgium or several of the common species here like juniper and uh, some of these grouse species and in Belgium we have national parks and nature reserves entirely devoted to the conservation of those species that are super common here. So. In Denmark we have very few orchids uh, and very limited distribution and I don't know if you noticed but when we walked up here we were passing a lot of different orchids, it's so nice. Yeah, they're so beautiful. So, yeah. yeah, I've spotted quite a few when I've yeah. been up here. Yeah. Mm. Okay.
So Peter, we're not doing this today because we're at the top of the mountain, but one of the other things you work on as well is, is forests and how the kind of forest canopy can help protect uh, species from increasing in, in warming. Yeah, yeah, so indeed uh, many of our research and also Bantus is focused on microclimate and so here on the mountains this is mostly driv- driven by topography and the slope and, and the aspect. But in forests this is mostly dri- driven by the presence of this thermal insulating layer that trees create. Uh, and so we indeed try to assess the effects of this thermally insulating layer on the species that grow on the forest floor, on the processes that take place in the soil and in the shade because it's not very easy to calculate or to quantify the temperature below the canopies of the trees from the temperatures that we measure in standardized weather stations because mm-hmm. this depends on the density of the canopy the tree species the 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 way they are the the canopies are packed above each other so um, and m- much of our research that we currently do is focused on this question and what have you found so we find that uh, in terms of temperature below the canopy that this can really cause significant deviations of up to 10, 20, sometimes even 30 degrees wow. depending on the temperature outside. So what we find is for maximum temperatures, which is unsurprising of course, that uh, the warmer it is, that the more buffering you get. So when it's really hot outside forests, like 30, 35 degrees, that you get a, a buffering of up to 10 degrees or 20 degrees uh, sometimes. Whereas for minimum temperatures, when it's very cold outside the forest, then it's actually warmer uh, in, inside or below the canopy. Well, that's enough for one day. Uh, it's time for us to head back down from the summit. My time surveying and trying to get my head around all of these mosses and lichens and alpine plants up here is uh, come to an end, but it is not over for the team. They've still got a few more summits yet to survey while they're based up here in Arbisco. And the work that they do uh, is going to add to this global network of data, which is going to help us understand how climate change is causing change in the communities at the top of our mountains. So that's that. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I always certainly enjoy being able to join researchers who work at the top of mountains because they get by far the best views. Uh, Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and please do leave a comment or two to let us know what you think. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can tweet the Climate Impacts Research Centre at Arctic Cirque or reach me at Emma Brisbane or check the show notes for other ways to get in contact. I'll see you soon for another episode of Field Notes.